Boker Tov. Today's staff is Dafkuf Yitzayin and Baba Kamas. We learn for Achenu Kol Beis Shivya throughout the world and in this part of the world. Says the Gemara, we're at the fifth line of the wide lines on Kuf Yitzayin Rav Rafuna Bar Yehuda. Story. Rafuna Bar Eikol the Bay of Yone. He went to that town called Bay of Yone. That was the name of the town. Also, came came for Rava. Omer Rava. So Rava said to him, Have any questions come up? Have you dealt with any serious uh, issues recently? Any halachas, any judgments came before Yomelei? It was a story with a Jew who was compelled by the Goyim. He, the Goyim came to him and said, show us where the Jews have some money. And he showed him somebody else's money. This case came before me. And I held him liable to pay because he was the one who exposed the property of somebody else. Omelei, a hatter of the reverse your ruling, Lemare, give it back to the owner. In other words, the one that you held was liable, give him back money. The time Yisrael Shansuab Gechavim, if a Jew was forced by Goyim, the Heramam and Chavero to fork over, to show where somebody else kept their money, Potter, he's exempt. If he did it, so to speak, by hand, that is, he picked up the money, brought them the money to the Goyim, then Chayim, then he's liable. Omer if he showed it to them by himself without being forced, he saw the guy coming and he said, hey, you want to find where, where the Jews' money is? I showed it and then that's as if he, he did it, literally picked up the money by himself and gave it to him, if he did it on his own. So in our Mishnah, in the end of the Mishnah, we saw yesterday, our Mishnah holds the opinion that if you steal money, that the land is not really... Um, uh, cannot be stolen. Land cannot be stolen. That's what the Mishnah said. So if you steal somebody else's field and then a Goyim took it away from you together with other fields, he could just say, look, take your field back. It's not, I can't do anything about it. However, and, and if, if they didn't take anybody else's field, they only took his field, right? Then he had something to do with it. Then he would have to, then he can't just say, but then the end of the Mishnah said, that means if the Gazan himself uh, uh, said to, uh, he didn't really steal it, he just showed the field to other people. He says, hey, you want to get a good piece of Jewish uh, land? Here's a piece of land. Then he's high to pay. So here, too, if the Goyim forced him to reveal where the Jews' assets were, then he's not responsible unless he did it on his own. He showed it to him on his own or he had a hand in it. Now we have a story which is a little bit more complicated. Uh, Goyim forced him and the Goyim forced him to reveal where uh, Jewish uh, wine was kept where their cellar was. Whose wine was it? Rav Mori, Rav Mori Bered Rav Pinchas Bered Rav Chista. Rav Mori, who was the grandson of Rav Chista. Omerlei, they told him, Omerlei told him, Dori help us lift the uh, bottle, the casks of wine. Uh, he showed him where it was. They forced him. And then they said to him, help us carry it. Dori So Dori and Hitaka, he lifted it up and he carried with him. Ravashi exempted him from paying because he was forced. They showed him, he was compelled to show where the uh, Jewish wine was. If he carried it out with his own hand, he helped them physically, then he's liable. That's if the Goyim didn't know where it was, they wouldn't stand there originally. But over here, the guy we're standing there, Mikhail Kalitz has already been gone. In other words, this idea that uh, when are you liable? If either you showed it on your own or 
you actually brought it to them on your own. That's your own. But if you were compelled and you show you were compelled to show them where it was, and then the guy said to you, once you once they knew where it was, they said, okay, help us lift it out. Then you're no more responsible than if you didn't take anything. Because it's already been consumed. It's already been burnt, so to speak. It's gone. If a um a, a uh, you know bandit said hoshitli pakia amir hand me over that, that's important hoshitli pass me over this bundle of wheat or this bundle of grapes or this uh, cluster of grapes lo and he handed it over chayim you have to pay so what do you see over here you have to pay why because even though the guy said knew where it was, he said, hand it over to me. But since you physically handed it over to him, you're even though the guy, the guy is right there. I got my mama since he actually did physically did something. In other words, it's very clear that if a guy compelled you to say where something was, they said, and they forced you at gunpoint, you showed him where it was, you're, you're, you're absolved, you're, you're exempt. On the other hand, if you just on your own went and wanted to find curry favor with the guy and said, hey, I know where some Jewish money is or Jewish wine is, then you're certainly liable. The question is, if you li- if when they uh, t- when they forced you to reveal it, you actually helped them along. So he said if they forced you and, and once they forced you and they knew where it was, they were standing there and they told you to help them. Uh, that's not your, you're not more any more responsible because they they already had it. You, you were just acting as a sabal, as a schlepper. Um, you're not responsible there. But here it's mashma when they said, pass me over the bundle of wheat or the cluster of grapes, and he gave it to Mishayim, even though they apparently knew where it was. That's different because over there, they were on two different sides of the river. The Goyim could see it, but they couldn't access it. They couldn't reset it. And then you did it. Uh, you you handed it over to them. You threw it over to them, like it handed over. Uh, you you threw it to them. They couldn't reach it on their own. Then you had an active part in the gzela, and you're responsible. Dekanami, you see this also proof for proof. Tani hoshit. It says it said pass it over to me. Below Tani ten didn't say give it to me. It said pass over to me. Smashma. They were far away. Shmamina, you see that hoshos There was a net like a trap that was trapped for fish that two people were fighting over. See, we're getting a taste of Shnaim Ochsen, of Bob Metzi, which we're going to start a Mitzvah on Friday. We're getting a taste of it already, huh? Giving a little, a little, uh, little advance uh, story here, right? Each guy said, it's mine. Uh, this guy said, then that's mine. This guy said, that's mine. One of them went. He gave it to the king's uh, office over there, to the king's officer. Amr Abaya, Yachal Omar. You could say, Ani, he must be the master. I gave my own. What do you want from me? I I gave it over to the king, like maybe as a uh, prepayment against my taxes or something, you know. I could say I gave my own. I'm really rubber. The Hulkman is believed. There's a fight here. Nobody is neither one is more proof than the other. El Amarava, Mishamtina lay. We excommunicate him Adamaisi lay till he brings the net back, the Koibidin and stands up to judgment. We have to judge him. In other words, that's the rule. If two people are fighting, you got to come to court. You can't grab it on your own and give it to the king as your, uh, give it to the uh, IRS as your prepayment and claim that it's yours. Hogaver, another story. Hogaver, Davi boy, a Jewish man was was going to show the Goyim where the grain, the Tevin, 
of somebody else was. He says, you know, I'm going to show him where it was. Don't do that. You're not allowed to. Again, we're not talking about at a time when it's fair, when taxes are equal to everybody, except for the rich who know have all these exemptions. But, you know, it's basically a fair system. It's a certain percentage. In those days, the guy took what they wanted. So, you know, things weren't fair. So you weren't supposed to show somebody else's assets to the government. So this guy said, I'm going to show him where it is. Rav told him, don't do it. I'm going to show him anyway. I'm going to, I, despite you, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I want. Yasser of Kana Kamei Rav, of Kana, who was the, this was, this was in bubble, this story. Rav, as you know, was both in bubble and in Eretz Israel. He went back and forth, not like Abai and Rav and Shmuel and many of the other rabbis in Bavel, and not like Rabbi Yochanan, who was in Eretz Yisrael, but, but this was, this place took this took place in Bavel. So we'll see, Yosef Rakhana was sitting in front of Rav, and he saw this story, that this man was um, uh, was uh, had arrogance and contempt for the rabbi. Rav told him, don't reveal where it was, and he said, I'm going to do it anyway. Shamte Lekoimine, he dislodged his neck. Rakhana went physically, and broke his neck and killed him. Kari Rav Eluya, so Rav called out this Pusik, quoted this Pusik about the story. Banecha Ofu, your sons have fainted. Shachbu Barosh Chal Susos, they are lying at the head of, of all the streets. Kiso Michmar, like a wild animal in a net, in a trap. Maso Zed, just like this animal. Kivan Shanafah once he falls into the trap. In Marachalav, the hunter, the trapper, has no mercy on him. He's fallen to his trap. That's it. The animal's done. Af mamo Yisrael, the Jewish money, once it falls in the hands of the Goyim, he's not going to get it back. They don't give you a refund so quickly. So, so he quoted this Pasuk that, uh, look what look what this guy has done. Amalei Rav. It seems like Avrav Kana, but you have to see the story from the context. You see that Amalei Rav. So Rav then said to Kahana, Kahana had killed the man, Jewish man. And until now, he says, Kahana, Kahana, come here. Until now, we were ruled here in Bavel by the Persians. They don't care about murder. You know, say, so kill another Jew, killed another Jew. They don't care. But now that we have the Greeks who are more uh, enforcing of the law, they're mocked with the particular about murder. And since you murdered somebody, they'll say, Martin, Martin. Uh, they're going to call you a murderer. Because you're a murderer. So you better come suck Laura to Israel. Go up there to Israel. In other words, escape, right? Escape there to Israel, like people have done in our times when they came here to escape uh, justice in the United States or someplace else, right? He says, "Come there, go up to Israel." But now you are a great Tamil However, I'm warning you. Accept the points. Accept the points of particular of Yochanan. Rav Yochanan was the Marad Asra. He was the chief rabbi of Eretz Yisrael. He was a great Talmud Chacham. But Rav Kana, he knew. Rav knew that Rav Kana was a, even a greater Talmud Chacham. And don't bother Rav Yochanan with your questions. Don't bother him because you're going to make stir up trouble. Accept upon yourself that you won't ask Rav Yochanan any questions. Shevashan for seven years. For seven years, keep your mouth shut. Azul, he went up there. So Ashkelon He found Rishlakesh. Who was like the leader was a Talmud of Rabbi Yochanan, and the Yosef, the Messiah, sifted the Yoma, the Rabbanan. He was reviewing what we call second Seder. You review the Shear that you learned uh, earlier in the day. First Seder, you make a laning of the Gemara, then you hear the Shear, 
then second state of review. So Rosh Lakish was reviewing the shear that Rabbi Yochanan had given that day. He was reviewing it for the rabbis, the Chazara. Amulahu. So he said uh, that's what that's what this uh, Rav Kana came across, came to the yeshiva, and that's what was going on at the time. Rosh Lakish was uh, was reviewing the shear. Amulahu. He said to the students there in the yeshiva, Rosh Lakish, where's Rosh Lakish? Amulay, am I? Why do you want to know? Amalu, hi Kushi I have this and this question and this question. Piruk, Piruk, and I have these and these answers. In other words, Afkana was a tremendous, a tremendous uh and he was able to ask and answer all kinds of questions. So Rishlakesh, they told Rishlakesh about this, that Afkana had come here and he asked these difficult questions and gave these difficult answers. Also Rishlakesh, Rishlakesh went and told Amalakum. We all know the story of Rishlakesh Rabyochman's brother-in-law, that Rabyochanan. Uh, Rosh Lakish was a highwayman, and Rabbi Yochanan convinced him to do tshuva. And he said, "If you do tshuva, you can marry my sister." And then they became they became colleagues, and they learned together and argued with one another. Also, Rosh Lakish, Rosh Lakish, Yochanan is follows: Ari a lion has ascended from Bavel. You better be careful with tomorrow's shear. You know, when you know that uh, smart people like yourselves come to the shear. You are more inclined to prepare, you know. So you better be careful. The macha the next day, Asvua Bedar Kama, they sat him in the first row. There were seven rows of Talmidim in front of Rav Yochanan when he gave the shear. He sat him in the first row because he was a respected man. Look, he came from Babel and uh, he was a great Talmachacham. They knew that Bedar Kama came Rav Yochanan, but they didn't know that uh, Rav Kana had been warned by Rav not to say anything for seven years. Keep your mouth shut. Amr Shmaita, Vilakshi. Rabbi Yochanan started to give the teaching, the learning, right, the drasha, and uh, he didn't ask any questions. Rabbi Kana just sat there. Another Shmaita, he said another teaching, Vilakshi. And again, didn't ask him. So they kept moving him back. In other words, the smart guys sit in the front to ask the questions. You're not asking any questions. So they moved his seat further back. They, they sat him. Um, uh, all the way back to the seventh row, uh, until they, you know, they moved him back seven rows until he was sitting in the seventh, in the seventh and last row. Amalei said he's a lion. he's like a fox. He's much uh, not a lion so much. He's like a fox. He's not as learned as a parent that you made him out to be because I gave the shear. He didn't ask any questions. Omar, when of Khan heard that. Or I don't know if he heard it, but you know he felt that he had been diminished by pushing him back to the seventh row. Yeah, Rabbi, let it be the will of God. The Hani Shevadori, these seven rows that I've been pushed to the back, this should replace the seven years, right? I took it upon myself. I didn't say took a shul, but I took it upon myself not saying for seven years. Now I've been moved back seven rows. How about those seven rows replace the seven years? Maybe now I can open my mouth. The Rav, I'll keep. I will replace those seven years that Rav told me to keep, uh, to keep, uh, sh- uh, to keep my mouth shut. Kamakar, he got up on his feet. Amalei, he said to Rabbi Yochanan, stand, standing in the back. He stood in the back. You know, he was in the seventh row, and I mean, they must have had ushers, etc. And he got up and he said, Resha, a Rabbi, can you re- can you uh, can you repeat the shear? Can you start go back to the beginning? Uh, I want to point out something that I'm a Resha. Amr Shmaitis, Rabbi Yochanan repeated the first teaching, and Rav Khan asked a strong question. They moved him all the way up to the first row. Amr Shmaitis, he said another another teaching, and Rabbi Yochanan said another teaching, 
and he asked him another question. And Rabbi Yochanan now had to diminish himself because he didn't have an answer for Rabkana's questions. How did he diminish himself? Rabkana was already in the first row. Rabbi Yochanan Yosef HaSheva Basarki, he was sitting on seven cushions. Notice he's sitting high up on seven cushions when he gave this year. Shafalecha Basarka. One, when Rafkana asked him this second question, the first question caused Rafkana to move from the last row to the first row. The second question caused Rabbi Elchanan to remove one of his cushions, me too, say from underneath him. Omar Shmait said another, he said another question, but actually, Rafkana asked him another question there, and this went on until all the cushions were removed and Rabbi Elchanan was sitting on the floor. <laughs> until all the cushions had been removed from underneath him, until he was sitting on the ground. Rabbi Elchanan was an elderly man, and he had very long eyebrows that covered up his eyes. He couldn't see very well. He said to them, he was sitting now on the ground, lift up my eyes, meaning lift up the eyebrows, and I'd like to see him. I mean, you can learn more when you see somebody directly than you just hear him. Uh, and so I can see him. They had a silver, like, hairbrush, a little silver hairbrush that they used to lift up his eyebrows. He saw, when Avyokhanan gazed upon Ravkana, he saw that his lips were parted. In other words, he had a cut there. Uh, he had some sort of a wound and his lips were like cut open. Rabbi Yochanan thought that Rav Kana was laughing at him, that Rav Kana had asked him questions he couldn't answer. So he said Rav Kana was like making fun of him. You see, what do you know? Came from Bubble, I know more. He thought that, but it's not really true. Rav Kana wasn't laughing at him simply because his lips were cut in such a way that it appeared that he was smiling, laughing at him. Polished to Rabbi Yochanan became very upset. Right, became very upset with this, but and therefore Rav Kana died because of the uh, because of the um, shame that Rabbi Yochanan felt from Rav Kana. Uh, Rav Kana uh, died suddenly. Lemachar, and he was buried. Lemachar, Amalu Rabbi Yochanan. Next day, Rabbi Yochanan said to them, to the Rabbanan, to the rabbis of the yeshiva, did you see how that Babylonian treated me? He was making fun of me. Amalu, no, that's his, uh, he wasn't laughing at you. It was just his lips were cut. That's that's how he looks normally. All the gabe, so Rabbi Yochanan realized that he had made a terrible mistake by being offended. All the gabe, he went to the cave where they had buried, they had buried Rav Kana because he buried people right away. You know, he came up to Eretz Yisrael, as we see, because of fear. Uh, pardon? Because he, he murdered somebody. He came up there because so, he murdered not. somebody. Okay, maybe the person deserved it because he was uh, he was uh, making fun of the rabbis, right? But he murdered somebody. He came to Eretz Yisrael. He was still Zohar to burial in Eretz Yisrael, right? Like they all want to do. Oligav Imros came up to the the the, the uh, to the cave where he had where Rakhana was buried. There was a snake, a serpent who was encircled around the mouth of the cave of the cave. And Rashi explained that he put he is fully encircled, made a full circle. There was no opening, meaning the the animal had taken its own tail and stuck it into his mouth, so the circle was complete. Couldn't get in. Snake, snake, open your mouth. Let the rabbi come in to see his talmud. He didn't open up. The snake was not opened up. Some say you know it's a 
it's an allegory for the Yetzirah or whatever, but Hashem made this happen. Yeah. Okay, I'm not the rabbi and he's not the student. Uh, let's let's say he's my colleague. Let the colleague enter another colleague, a friend to a friend. The snake did not open up. Let the student enter and see the rab. In other words, Rav Kana, he gave him the respect. Now, Rav Kana was the rabbi, I'm the student. Now, the snake released his tail from his mouth and opened up a little bit, so he was able to open up the cave, and he went in. Boy, Rachme, he begged for mercy. Rabbi Yochum prayed for mercy. And he was able to uh, cause him to get up, to get up, to rise from the dead. Had I known that that was your normal look, to me, you looked like you were laughing at me. But if I had known you normally, I wouldn't have been upset, and it wouldn't have caused you to die. Please come back with me and learn with us. If you can guarantee me, so to speak, if you can pray that I won't die again, that you're not going to happen again, you're not going to gang me, I'll go. I'll go. If not, I'm not going to go. No, different ways to understand this in Rashi. In other words, he says, since uh, a nace happened, you know, like people say, you know, ain't some I, I, I got one nace. You revived me from the dead one time. I don't know that I'll, I'll get another chance with that. So if you get, yeah, thank you. If, if you, uh, if you get right, like the story before when he at the feast, right? That, right. He says, if you, um, there was who rub over there by him, rub. I think it was right by him. So, so Rashi's first interpretation says, maybe you're going to get, I mean, I don't know if I'll get another chance. It was a nace, right? But I'd rather go home. Just let me live and I'll go home. I'm not going to stand and learn with you because I'm afraid I'll die now. Some say, I don't want to get, I don't want to die again. In other words, not because I'm afraid you won't be able to make a nisa again, but I'm afraid the dying was painful. Like, you know, is is dying painful or is it just like the prick of a needle? The quick doesn't feel like anything. So uh, I don't want to take any chances. Tyre, so uh, I guess he, Later, Rashi brings down Gemara that he actually did go home, but apparently went to the yeshiva too because as Tyre he awakened him, Ukme restored him, and Shaila calls Feka. And Shaila asked him questions, he asked him all his questions. Uh, uh, Shaila asked him questions, calls Feka to Havile, any question that Rabbi Yochanan Pashtinu, he resolved, he decided the question for him, his poshit to Shaila, anything. Pashtinu, and he explained every question that Rabbi Yochanan had, Rav Khan was able to answer him. This fits in with this that Rabbi Yochanan famously said, Dilchun Amri What I said to you, my students in Eretz Yisrael, that you were the Torah, B'nai Yisrael were the main, you know, the high the highest level was the you rabbis in Eretz Yisrael. Dilchun, it really belongs to them in Babel. The, the Babylonians were considered to be greater than those in Eretz Yisrael based on this story with Rav Kana. So that's the story with Rav Kana. All started because, how do we get to the story? Because Rav Kana had killed the person who refused to uh, to refrain from revealing somebody else's property. There was a man who wanted to reveal the silk ornaments of Rababa. He wanted to reveal who they were. These three rabbis were sitting and judging the case. Rabbi was sitting in front of them. They wanted to say that he's responsible to pay. Why? From a famous, now, this man, all he did, he didn't do any, he didn't say, he didn't physically do anything. All he said was he told the Goyim where the silk ornaments of Ravava were. So he said, listen, words alone can make you liable. 
Why do they want to be We have a case in Sanhedrin. Donos Adin. If a judge judged the case, and he made a mistake, he gave merit to the one who had to pay liable, and the one who was innocent, he made him pay. Right? And he, and it's like, or Timei Satora, something was sore, he was Matame, Vithir Satame, or was Tame Tor. Masha also was done as on the Yishalmi Beso. In other words, what's done is that you can't get the money back, but the judge has to pay out of his own pocket, even though all he did was say words. So you see over here too, all you did was say words, you have to pay. That's only if the judge actually took the uh, item physically, took the money from one, gave it to another, or he picked up the item and, and pronounced it. Amrilei, Zil, they told him, so from that case, you can't tell because that's only speaking about when you physically did something. You want a case where you, all you did was you showed the guys where the where the merchandise was, where the assets were. Let's go to those two rabbis. They judge cases of indirect damage. They went to him. And he was, they, they made him liable from our Mishnah. Because our Mishnah says, We said in our Mishnah, Amish is talking about where the Goslin took it. He says he machmas a Goslin, but he wasn't really Goslin. He just pointed out where it was. And the Mishnah said, he's got to give another one, Bukimna, he just showed him where it was. So even though he didn't really steal it, and as we'll see, according to our Mishnah, doesn't even hold you, Karka cannot be stolen. But if he just pointed out where it was, that's good enough. So here he did it on his own. So we've explained if Goyim forced you to reveal where somebody's property was, then you had no choice even if afterwards you helped them along. But if you did it on your own, or you physically just helped them along without being prodded to do so, then you're responsible. There was a man who had been given to guard, to hold in his house, a silver cup. Salika Gandela, the Ganovim came and, uh, and, and uh, you know, threatened him. Uh, they 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 came upon him and looked and uh, to get gets you know to try to uh, to steal from him. Shakla he took the silver cup Yavalu and gave it to them. So now the case came before Rabba Patre. Rabba exempted him from paying for the silver for the silver cup that he gave up. This is a case you you don't you're not allowed to save yourself with somebody else's money. You save yourself with somebody else's money. You're responsible to pay. So here too. He saved himself by using somebody else's money. So he should be liable to pay. If he was a wealthy person himself, also they came for him. And then if he saved his own assets by paying, giving up somebody else's assets, he's responsible to pay. But if he's not a wealthy person, they came for the cup. It was if the guy knew that, that he had been holding the cup for, you know, Shimon had been holding the cup for Ruben, and they came to Shimon's house, where's the cup? It's not his fault. He wasn't saving himself. They came for the cup. But if they came for him and said, where are your diamonds? We know you're wealthy. And he said, I hey, take the silver cup. Then he's responsible to pay. That's called matzal atzmo, the moment chabera, which is illegal, which you're responsible to pay for. That's matzal atzmo, the moment chabera. And that's Okay, another case. Somebody had, they had collected money for pidyon shvuyim. And he was holding that money for pigeon shvuyim, for uh, redeeming the captives, for ransoming the captives. Saliku Gandela, so Ganda Ganavim came to his house. Shakla, he gave, he took the money, the 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 pouch of money. I think it was a money like with the, um, you know, like that little 
purple uh, purple bag that you have that you keep the stuck of money in there, you know, <laughs> Canadian club, whatever, you know. I think it was it looked like that. He had this pigeon shvuya money in there, you know, all kinds of money, and he gave him that money. Yavnil, he gave it to him. the Rabba, he came for Rabba Patre. Rabba exempted him from pain. You're saving yourself with somebody else's money. You use the pigeon shvuya. That's good. That's also Piyun Shfuyim. They could have hurt him. They could have killed him, right? So that's also Piyun Shfuyim. Even the Piyun Shfuyim sometimes is only for money. You know, today, this is, gets to the big question that we have today, but Brian Lewis was talking about this, that, you know, why, you know, what's the story with Piyun Shfuyim? Are you Mechuyiv to get these, you know, this whole debate going on, you know, where, you know, we could have just bombed all those people and different opinions, uh, Ravad Yosef and well, Yosef on one side, and uh, Yaakov Kamenetsky on the other side have said that even the even the sol- even the captives are like soldiers, and you can't take their lives into consideration when you're fighting a war. You have to fight a war. This whole business about pigeon shvuim, what's responsible for and what not. But even so, you can't always learn from the prior cases of hundreds of years ago when they would uh, they would take rabbis captive in order to get money. And in those days, their lives weren't at stake. Today, we know that the lives of the captives are at stake, and therefore. Rabbi Yosef, and he claims that um, that uh, that Rabbi Yosef agreed with him that right now you have a case of pigeon shvu, you have to redeem the captives. I, you say, look what happened with Sinwar and all the other ones later on. You let out these all these terrorists. They get, right now, these people's lives are at stake. Right? That's a vaday. It's a suffolk. What's going to happen in the future? You know, in the future you can't deal with. You got to deal with right now, and their lives are at stake, and therefore there's so there's different opinions about this, and this is also pigeon shvu. I mean, here. Even if it was only for money, it's also called pinyin shvuyim. That's also called pinyin shvuyim. So the rule is ainachanami, like the Marama Rottenberg, who refused to be ransomed because that would just encourage more and more and more. But his life wasn't at stake. He eventually died in captivity, and it took him another ten or fifteen years until somebody ransomed his body to be buried. And the guy was buried next to him, uh, a wealthy Jew. But uh, but pinyin shvuyim could be whether it's for money or for or for their lives. Their lives are at stake. The first of the white lines of Gemara. Listen to this. <laughs> there was a ferry. <laughs> you could just picture this. There was a ferry. You know, today you have ferries with cars and everything goes on there. But in the old days, the ferries weren't as strong. It was made for people. This guy brought his donkey onto the ferry. Right? Now, he went before the other people went on. He went and brought his donkey onto the uh, before the people uh, got uh, you know, ascended the uh, some say the portion that they, before they were able to get off, but he brought his donkey onto the ferry. Uh, what was going to happen? The donkey is wild, the donkey's not like a llama. A llama they could put in the helicopters, they have these strained llamas like the army has. They're very, they're very docile, they're very easy to deal with. You put a donkey, the donkey's going to start kicking and everything, and the and the boat was going to turn over, it was going to sink. Also, Gavra, man came, pushed the donkey, the Hugavra, pushed him to the river. You see, in today's Gemara, we have Hamra wine and Hamra donkey. Hence, where the word Hamra, where is the Hamra? If it's in the cellar, then it's wine. If it's out in the field, in the road, it's a donkey, right? So they pushed him, pushed him into the river, the tough, and the, and the, yeah, the donkey, uh, the donkey drowned, right? Donkeys can't swim. So Hugavra shut him up. Also, Gavra, it came before Rabba. And they said, look, this man, uh, look, you know, when Mechaivim, you, you killed the donkey. This is Patres. He's, no, he's, uh, he's exempt. He saved himself 
with uh, by 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 using somebody else's money, right? By somebody else's asset. He saved himself from drowning with the whole boat turning over by using somebody else's asset, uh, the the donkey, by killing the donkey. Omelay, Jaime Carrodefu, Rabbi, no. The person who, the owner of the donkey, right? He was the one who was demanding payment for the donkey. He's a rodef because he was trying to kill everybody on the boat. By bringing your donkey onto the boat, you were endangering the lives of everybody else. And what's the halach of a rodef? You're allowed to kill a rodef. If you see somebody going after somebody else to kill them or to rape a girl, you're allowed to kill them, right? A haimikar, a rodef have if a rodif was following somebody to kill him, the rodif himself on his way to kill, he broke somebody else's vessels. It's like on Shabbos, you throw a knife on Shabbos across the street. You're high for Shabbos, and if you tore somebody's garment on between, you're potter. Here also, the rodif himself, since he's high Misa, for Rode, because his life is worthless. You're allowed to kill the Rode. He's you're allowed to kill him. His life is considered uh, it's a capital it's a capital uh, crime. So he doesn't have to pay. So that's as far as the Rode. The near death. What about the person who's being pursued? He's running away, and while he's running away, he breaks somebody else's kalim. If he if it's the Rode's kalim, he's potter. Why? I'm allowed to kill the Rode. If somebody's running after me to kill me, I'm allowed to kill him. So certainly I could. I could break his, uh, you know, tear his suit and break his car and do everything else. If the near duff running away breaks somebody else's items on his way to save himself, he's to pay Like we've learned several times here on this stop, you cannot save yourself with somebody else's money. If you do, you shouldn't, but if you have to, then you pay for it. What about a person running after the rodef to kill him? Not the near duff. And not the Rode from himself, but somebody else was running after somebody. I saw somebody running after somebody to kill him, so I go and get them. That's what shove a Caleb, and I broke Caleb on my way. In other words, what I what do you call that? A good Samaritan, right? He's trying to save him. Bain shall near to Bain shall come, whether he destroyed anybody's Caleb, whether it was the person being pursued or anybody else's, you're potter, but you don't have to pay. Below men, I did not because technically, because technically, if the near to himself is not allowed to use somebody uh, is uh, to. Uh, to um, hurt or uh, damage somebody else's assets to save himself. Certainly, a friend, a non, you know, a non-party here, a a, uh, a good Samaritan is not allowed to use somebody else's assets to save the nirda. But you, but we allow it anyway, even though that's not technically. If you don't say that, nobody's going to save somebody else. Why would a good like if you hold a good Samaritan responsible? A good Samaritan, let's say. Uh, you know, take somebody else's car or somebody else's assets to to kill the the, the murderer that was out to murder somebody. Say, well, the good Samaritan has to pay now for any damage. You don't say that. If you would say that, nobody's going to be a good Samaritan, and that's how law. Is the rodent here the uh, the owner or the mule? The rodent is the owner of the mule. The owner of the mule by bringing him on there, he's responsible, of course. So yeah, you yeah. throw him overboard. Well, you know, in this case, in this case, you know, you, you have to look at it. So you, you have to, it it's really both of them. Once you take, right, you, once he doesn't have it anymore, right, you know, you're, you're allowed to, you know, to kill him, you know. You could, you could say that, you could say that the donkey is the rodent over here. Because, because that's really the issue. The issue is, is the donkey. The, the owner wants to be paid for his donkey, you know. But the, uh, but, but here, but the, you could say that the donkey is high, you know, Misa, just like you say in general. But obviously, first of all, yeah. 
captain of the ship that did the murder for allowing? No, he didn't. Uh, he, he wasn't. Let's say he didn't. We, there was no captain or whatever. He didn't allow it or whatever right. happened. He's not right. Or it was done without his. Uh, obviously, he didn't wouldn't have agreed to it. He was about to lose the ship. It was against his will as well. So the mission was talking about where you stole somebody's field, and then somebody took it. They and, and afterwards these. Uh, ruffians, these uh, bandits took it from you. If they're taking from everybody, you could just say, well, nothing I could do about it. Here, the mission goes on to say, shut up now. Let's say the river, the, you, after you took somebody else's field, the river flooded the field. You say, again, it's not my, you know, take your field back. Can't steal a field. If you steal somebody else's field, and then it was flooded, Lezer holds, Lezer holds, not like our sheet, not like the previous missioner, he always say a field can be stolen, and you have to give him another field. You stole it; it's in your possession now. He holds that karka can be stolen. As we'll see in a minute. He holds karka can be stolen. Therefore, if it was flooded, you got to give him another field. You stole a field; you got to give him back a good field. The field can't be stolen; it's karka. It's a question. There's we have ribu and meat. We also have klal prado klal. So the question is, where do you apply it? Rebelezer usually darshans it more often. And therefore, and even though darshans call part two in certain cases, Rebelezer darshans it when there's a choice of the two. And Rabbanan say no. What's the Rebelezer? In the case where you swore, where you swore falsely, but the idea is not only where you swore falsely, whenever you deny uh, something, you have a kichesh pamiso, anything that you deny, but pikadon, and it goes on to say pikadon, or shlichas yad, or other things, or gezel, pikadon is a miyad. That's less, you know, that's uh, a, a, one is a, a, a an enlargement, you know, like you're including everything, right? A ribui. Uh, and one is a miyat where you're limiting, uh, limiting it. Uh, and then it says, or anything that you swear falsely about, because of riba. Riba miyat riba, when you're an inclusion, and then a miyat, a, a limitation, and then a bigger inclusion, riba akal, you include everything except for, and you only exclude one thing. My ribi, riba akal, me, everything is included. Meaning, even you could steal karka also and avodim and everything. Remind me, what do you mean? One thing, you mean shtaris? Why? Because a star not only because it, it has really no intrinsic value. And therefore, uh, yeah, that's the only thing that's not included in in the in the rules about uh, stealing. And therefore, you could you could you could here we're supposed to talk about denying it and swearing falsely. But the idea is that it applies to everything that's stealing. You can't that you could even steal karka. They dash in the same pasuk. Or klaluprat, a generalization, and then a, um, a, a a generalization followed by a specification. So the kichesh klal, that's a general thing. That's that's a, a generalization. The pikaron is a prat. That's a specification. Omikol, omikol she, omikol she Anything else? Chazor klal. So we have a klal part of klal. Yet on keena prat, it's got to be like the prat. Not that it's limited to the prod itself, which according to Rablazer is only stars. It's like the prod. My prod over metalta just love prod is over metalta is movable. We go for money and has intrinsic value. I've called over metalto anything which is movable. We go for money has good money. Yatsu karkars we exclude karka. Why? Because it's not movable. Shame metalta. We also have bottom shikarkars and we exclude our bottom which are juxtaposed with karka. They're like karka. Yatsu stars. If just just out be shemetalta, even though they're movables. And go from moment, then I don't have intrinsic value. So that's my cloaks. Can you steal car cannot? I bought a tanya. I go so far. If you steal a cow, the <clears throat> shatanar, and you steal a cow, the cow is on a piece of land, and the river flooded and killed the cow. You got to give another part of the river a blessing. 
you can say, here's your cow. I didn't do anything. over there. The par after all is immovable and has intrinsic value. So why did the Chachamim say, Rabbi Lezer says, right, that you can make him pay, right? You have to pay. And the Chum say you're potter. How's that? The par is movable and it could be stolen. What's the problem? Why aren't you responsible? What happened was you stole a field by Sapara Vutsabo and there was a there was a cow lying on the field. When you steal a field, when you acquire karka, you acquire metalkalin together with it. Whether if the kavana could even be from metalkalin, it's not there, but certainly if it's on the field. Gazla Mashka, he didn't, he didn't the Gazla did not take the para, but akakos. Say you can't steal the karka and you didn't make a kinyan on the para, so therefore you don't have to pay. Therefore, uh, you didn't get anything. You didn't. You didn't actually steal the cow. You stole the karka. Karka can't be stolen. So for the rabbanon, say you're pot. You're pot on the karka. You're pot on the cow. According to Rabbi you're high for the cow. Why? Because when you stole the karka. The par was on there, therefore you acquired the par too. Bishat but now says you can steal karka. And if you can steal karka, you can steal the par that's on it. The Rabbanan say you can't steal karka, and you didn't make a kinyan on the par. Says the Mishnah goes if you stole Reuben stole from Shimon, oh by Menor, or Reuben borrowed some money from Shimon. Reuben owes money to Shimon. Oh uh, or, or Shimon gave him some money, he deposited some money with him in town. You shouldn't give it back to him in the in the desert. In town, it's okay. But, you know, you met him in the desert somewhere where, you know, there's bandits and it's not safe. You can't just return it to him there. You can't say, oh, I'm giving it back to you now. I'm waiting now. I don't have my satchel with me. I don't have my guard with me. You can't give it to me there. Um, remember, they say if he gave it to him on the condition that he's going out to the desert, then you ask a little bit more. The Gemara's going to ask, isn't that obvious? If there was a condition that you're going to go out to the midbar, what's the problem? For a minute, first Gemara says, Malva, Milva, Mishnamas, Komakam. You can pay back a loan any place. Aveda and Aveda because you got to give only where they took place, where it was found, where it was given. But a loan can be paid back any place. How can you say that if you gave them a loan in town, you can't be paid in a dangerous place? A milba can be demanded any place. If I lent you money, you can't say, oh, you lent it to me in town. I'm in the desert now. That doesn't help. Since I lent you money, right, the, the Malva has the upper hand. He can demand the money wherever he is. If I give you a deposit, I can't demand it wherever I am. I gave it to you in town. I gave it to you in town. I got to give, I can demand it back in town. Also a lost item that way. So it doesn't mean that uh, this means you can't be demanded in town. But in terms of, uh, we're looking from the Malva's point of view, if he lent him money in town and he doesn't want to be paid out in the midbar where he might, might get stolen from him, then he's entitled to say, pay me back in town. But if he wants to, he can demand it wherever he wants if it's a loan. I'm going to ask submit, but the condition is going to have pshita. If he made the condition that, what, I'm going to borrow the money on the condition I'm going out to the desert and I'll pay you back there, it's obvious that if he made that was a condition, what's the problem? I'm giving you this thing to deposit. The I'm telling you, I'd like, can you hold this item for me? I'm giving you this deposit because I'm going on, I'm traveling out on the midbar, traveling on the rough roads. And the Nifka, the one who was given the deposit, said, I'm also going to be there. I'm also going there. I'm also going on. If I want to give it back to you, I can give it back to you. So he doesn't mean, he didn't say, I'm giving you, I'm giving it to you, or I'm accepting it on the condition that I'm going to give it back to you. He just said, I'm also going to be there. So if you want, I might pay you back over there. 
A man says, Reuben says to Shimon, you know, I stole something from you. You probably don't remember, I stole from you. Or Hosanna, you borrowed, I borrowed some money from you. If God had told you, gave me something. In other words, this man comes nicely and says, you know what, I have some of your money. I stole it, you lent it to me, you gave it to me to watch. I don't remember if I gave it back to you. It happens sometimes. I know you gave me something or I took something. I'm not sure if I returned it to you or not. He's got to pay. I'm not even sure if I stole from you. Obviously, we're not talking about where the man has an IOU. The, the mouth has an IOU. says, hey, you owe, me, you owe me money. And the other guy has no proof. So that's proof. You'd have to pay him back. Or if he if he mixes him if he's uh, if it's um, if he denied the whole thing and the other guy has a claim he could say uh, you could you have to make a shvuas or abonam but if he just says I don't even know I'm not sure if I did or not then he doesn't have to pay nobody's nobody's demanding it from him itmar that's what the mishnah says then a man says I think I took something from you I'm not sure if I have paid you or not I have to pay and he has to pay it back now the gemara is going to explain this is under a certain condition he doesn't really have to pay itmar. Famous case that we have throughout Shas. Monali biyatcha. Reuben says to Shimon, you owe me money. You have $100 of my money. Baloma any of that. The other guy says, I don't know. I don't know. So in Machlok is Rafuna, Rafuna of Yehuda, we don't pass, like says, you have to pay. Why? Bari b'shem, bari arbzim, bari arbzim, bari arbzim, no, pati, you don't have to pay. I, I didn't, I'm not sure. You, you just say, you don't have an IOU. You just say, you just say, I owe you money, and I'm not sure. Rafuna of Yehuda, machai, bari b'shem, bari arbzim, He's sure. I'm sure you owe me money. You're not sure. You owe, you owe me. You got to pay me. You leave the money in the possession of the holder. Right now, I have the money. I'm not sure if I owe you the money or not. You have no proof, and therefore I keep the money. That's and we talk about him like like Rav Nachman Rav Yochanan. I don't have to pay you because I'm not sure if I owe you the money, and you have no proof. So now, what about our Mishnah? Our Mishnah is Avlam Amrlo Potter. If I don't know. If I don't know if you if I borrowed money from you or if I stole, I'm not sure. Potter, if he's not demanding anything from him, in the first case also, in the first case of the Mishnah, he says, um, I, I stole something from you, I took something from you, I'm not sure if I paid you back. And also, the, the other guy's not demanding anything. Why do you have to pay? Why do you have to pay? If I, if it, I'm not sure, I, I think I might have borrowed something from you, I, I borrowed something from you, I'm not sure if I paid you back or not. The other guy's not demanding anything. The 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 person who was who, who allegedly the money was taken from not is not demanding anything. Why do you have to pay him? Ella the Katabla, it must be that he's demanding it from him. And still Bhutani safe a putter. And the ratio where he says, Yeah, I'm not sure that the ratio, apparently. He says, You owe me money. And the guy says, I'm not sure. You gotta pay. You gotta pay. Right? And he says, You gotta pay. In the safer, where he says, I'm not sure if I took you or not. I'm not sure if I took me in the ratio. He says, you owe, you took my money. And the guy says, yeah, I took your money, but I'm not sure if I paid you back or not. You have to pay. In the safer, I took your money. You, you have my money. And the other guy says, I don't know. You're putter. So this is a proof to Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Nachman. He says, look, he's not demanding anything here. So if you're not, not demanding anything, why in the ratio do you say you have to pay? I come to you. You don't, you're not, you're not asking me for anything. I just say, I took money from you, I stole from you, I borrowed from you, I'm not sure if I pay. why do I have to pay? I want to be really, I don't have to pay, man, I did. But I'm not sure, I might have taken money from you, I know I took money from you, I'm not sure if I paid you back, so I want to be so that there should be no no claim against me ever, even in Shemayim. This case brought down in the Gemara, where he said, 
it was demanded in the Mishnah. You can't tell if it was demanded or not. So we say it wasn't demanded. But if he demanded money from me, I don't have to pay. You only have to pay. And this is this is what where you have to pay if he wants to be Yosei. But technically, halachically, you don't have to pay back if what? If I say, you owe me money, and the other guy says, I'm not sure. Technically, the halacha is like Rav Nachman Rav Yochanan, that you're part from paying. Only if I want to be lots of Yishamayim, then you would have to pay. And and uh, Rav Nachman, Rav Huna Rav Yudah say you have to pay anyway, because Bari Vashem Bari and certainly when one guy is sure. All right, we'll pick him up from the Mishnah tomorrow, from this uh, third Mishnah on the Daf, tomorrow, Mitzvah Shem. On Thursday, you know, it's a short day, we got to finish, let me see him, so we want to get a little bit. Have a Thank good day. Have a good day. Take care. Beautiful.